You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Patrick, Mark, Rodney, we've been abandoned by everybody this morning. (laughs) We've been abandoned by Caitlin, who's actually out taking care of clients. We've been abandoned by Towner, who doesn't know how to work his computer. And we've been abandoned by our administrative and technical staff. And so this podcast is relying upon yours truly to actually be able to record a Zoom to the cloud. We'll see what happens. It's 50-50. Guys. That sounds like the election, Howard. That's a perfect segue. Guys, campaign season (laughs) is just kicking off. Actually, (laughs) campaign season is over, baby. Hail to the the victors. You can do better than that. The campaign, (laughs) the campaign is over. The campaign is over. It was a victorious campaign. As you know, Jake Schweitzer and I were there in person to witness the glory of the Michigan Wolverines. Put the other one back on. That's That's for the beach towner. Yeah. I mean, uh, Patrick, sorry. God. Oh, man. Can can I ask a quick question? Yes, you Um, may. First off, I've, I've noticed Iowa, you, like, go changed. to the Iowa Hawkeye slash <laughs> fighting a line. I former member yeah. to ask a question. Yes. Well, congratulations on your Wolverines. Well, thank First you. Off, I'm glad you were able to attend. Were you changing? Were you like turning yourself into the Patrick Martin of Michigan fans? Because I know the people listening to this can't see what we see, but you've like changed hats five times. You've had different clothes on it already and we're not even five minutes into this what are you doing but patrick is sitting there wondering how many wardrobe changes he needs to make i know it's could turn into a competition no rodney this is the actual sweatshirt that i wore to the game this is rodney actual actual confetti from the field (laughs) that i will be sealing you're like bob uh, brady stealing the pope's water yeah, I'm never I'm never taking this off. Like I'm Did like, you get a, only, did you get a tattoo? I did not, but it was a lot of fun. And uh yeah, thanks. It was it was an awesome time. It was actually once in a lifetime kind of gig, so it was cool. All right, the actual campaign and the actual election is kicking off. We have the Iowa caucuses in a couple of days. People are going to actually vote. What what a concept. Um, not going to be left to the Beltway briefing to decide. I don't know what they're voting for, though, because it's it's kind of interesting that to me, Trump is employing the Biden campaign strategy from from 2020. It's the it's not the Don in the basement strategy. It's the Don in the courtroom strategy. And as best as I can yeah, tell, it's quite a twist on the traditional rose garden campaign this feels like the most anticlimactic election season patrick that i can ever remember like it doesn't even seem like it's election season right now i agree it feels pretty baked you know you always 
leave a little room to be surprised. And we've certainly had our fair share of surprises. I was thinking this morning, knowing we were going to talk about Iowa, that with Rodney being on the team, we actually have someone who's probably caucused before because you're from Rodney, you're from Iowa. You've probably like actually experienced it firsthand. I always find the whole process really interesting and kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty anticlimactic when I was there. Um, I, I did. I w- was born in Des Moines, Iowa. I left there when I was seven, but I got a chance to go back and actually caucus for President Trump in 2020. Ironically, I was able to secure my location on the east side of Des Moines at what used to be my old grade school. So awesome. it's, a interest, it's an interesting process. You know, there wasn't much activity because Trump was unopposed, but there are multiple precincts that go into each location. So I went and I touted what President Trump was doing at three different meetings, all within one location of the same church, which used to be my grade school. Now, here, here's, the, here's a typical Iowa situation. I walk into my old kindergarten classroom. And I start looking at the list of attendees and I see a name I recognize because his dad and my dad used to work together. And I look around the room and I recognize an older version of a classmate of mine. And I walked up to him and I said, are you Stephen Glass? He said, yeah. I go, well, I used to be in school with you here, Rodney Davis. He goes, yeah, I heard you were in Congress and we got a chance to reconnect at that meeting. But people think the caucuses are more like a primary election, and they are clearly not. And the excitement around the party, like when I went there, was with Pete Buttigieg. You could see he had momentum. But the problem in 2020 was the Democrats couldn't count the ballots that night because they used a new electronic system and screwed it all up. So Pete got zero momentum out of that. So that's the stuff that you have to look for, is what is going to affect the caucus results. And that is where I think we need to uh, we need to address it. Plus, it's going to be extremely cold, and there are blizzard warnings that are projected for Iowa earlier in the week. That may that may affect her now. It's but it's also utterly irrelevant, isn't it? That's the problem. It's a fascinating, quirky thing. I am going to date myself and say I was there in two thousand eight when. Barack Obama shocked the world and and won. But that was, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the last time it mattered because all kinds of oddball results have come out of Iowa. And yet they, Rick Santorum wasn't the nominee, even though I think he eventually was declared the winner. So it's an anachronism. And as Howard's saying, I I just don't see that any of this is going to amount to a hill of beans in terms of who's in the general election. I agree with that. I mean, I do think it can, you know, Mark, you're fond of kind of the win, place or show mentality when we go through. I mean, I do think it can, depending on what the margin is, even if the end result ends up being the same as what we thought. I mean, you have had caucuses where you know it caused trump it certainly caused trump and the trump campaign an issue when cruz won in 16 and it made new hampshire that much more important i would also say it was the first in 16 for hillary it was the first real sign that this was going to be a pain in the ass primary for her and that sanders was was to be taken more seriously so even if 
you know, Trump and Hillary both ended up getting the nominations of their respective parties. It can complicate it, things, right? It, if the result well, is what it can do is complicate things, cause a bit of a reboot for the eventual nominee. But what it mostly does is create a fake horse race that the media loves. The right. media needs a horse race, and they're going to turn it into a two-man race, one of whom is a woman, and we're now in the two-person race era. And, and yeah, that'll be fun for anyone who's paying attention, which will be 11 people, because it, it's January, and we all know what November is, is going to bring. New Hampshire could be a little more interesting because she could actually maybe shock the world and win and join uh, Gary Hart and many others who won the New Hampshire primary and, and were not the nominee. It's a sad statement on the state of affairs that it's election season and it feels like nothing matters. I mean, it is. Patrick, on our side, this is a commentary on how consequential the caucuses are this year. Are we having a caucus on our side? Is yeah. Dean Phillips there? He's in New Hampshire. There's someone Sir, nobody listening to this podcast ever heard of. It's certainly uh, not contested. I, I, I think New Hampshire will be interesting. We, to, to your exact <laughs> point, Mark, we're not even we're not even having a real primary in New Hampshire on the no. Democratic side, Biden won't even be on the ballot and he may win with a bigger margin than Trump does or then, you know, I mean, I think yeah. he will. So yeah. Yeah, it's just bizarre. Yeah. Well, I've Dean got... Phillips is running ads, Rodney, in, in New Hampshire. I think he's probably oh, yeah. funding. I don't know that he's raised any money. Because he raised a million dollars. That's that's yeah. it. But yeah. When we were up in Massachusetts over the holidays, a uh, lot, lot of Dean Phillips on the air on Boston TV. And I think he's still polling in, in the other category. He is, and he'll continue to do that. Look, this is a vanity race for Dean. Dean's a friend of mine. Yeah, he's, he's a good guy, money. actually. Good guy, he but is. he's not going to be the nominee. Well, I've enjoyed tagging him out. I've home played a few times during the congressional baseball game. It all um, comes back to the congressional <laughs> baseball game. <laughs> he, uh, Dean's, Dean is going to do what he can to, to prove the relevance uh, in this cycle, and I think he's bringing a valued message for what I believe the Democratic Party needs. It's an assessment of what is Biden going to do to actually win in the general election? And maybe that helps kickstart the, uh, you know, maybe changing a little, little bit of strategy in the Biden campaign that even David Axelrod, I read this morning, uh, has has laid out for Biden's team. But I've got to run because now my lobbying ban is over. I have to actually go to meetings on the Hill. But I do want to say something about what I think will happen with Iowa. Yes, Iowa, in my opinion, as a former Iowan, rightfully so, gets a lot of attention in the presidential race. Does it matter eventually to most Iowa caucus winners? No, but this one will have some ramifications for New Hampshire if I am predicting correctly. I think even in a blizzard, Trump will run away with it. A blizzard will make his margin even more so. And that forces DeSantis to drop out since he's polling miserably in New Hampshire. And DeSantis's voters are going to give Trump a bigger margin against a Nikki Haley surge in New Hampshire. That's my prediction. I might be wrong, but I think it'll be all over by the time we get out of New Hampshire on the Republican side and make this cycle even more boring until the craziness yeah. that will ensue in the general. 
That's a good prediction. But Rodney, what's your prediction on the Raiders playoff game this weekend? Oh, sorry. Sorry. You know, you know, you, you got this year, Schweitzer. You got this sorry. year. And then this is like your this is like your ban year. It's your free year to make fun of me because the Wolverines oh, I will. did extreme the Wolverines did extremely well. They were coached very, very well. And I cannot wait till the Raiders have a coach Jim Harbaugh and you are crying <laughs> for Lloyd Carr again. They probably will, you know. <laughs> Just pay him, baby. That's all I say as a Raiders fan. They hey, probably thank will. You. All right, see. Thank you, guys. Rodney. So, guys. Like Rodney's prediction. Well, that, right. is a, that is a pretty good. It's a I, smart I could prediction. see that happening. I could see that. I hadn't thought about it the way he just said it, but that is, that does make some sense. I mean, if DeSantis yeah. gets out after Iowa, that could probably help Trump get over the finish line in New Hampshire. It's a, yeah. Haley's Hail Mary in New Hampshire is independence, of course. New Hampshire allows independents to vote in either primary, but hard to see. Hard, I mean, hard. I, and then and then they go to South Carolina. There, there's just no path. It's actually it's, depressing. It's, this is all depressing to me because, I mean, it is hard to dampen my mood this week. I'll say, yeah. but it's depressing. Because Trump is running a chicken shit campaign, pardon my language, but like he's hiding. He won't actually part. He's actually not participating. He did in the process. He, he did a Fox Town Hall the other night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so a political strategy. I mean, it's oh yeah, worked. yeah. I mean, can't fault him for. I mean, it's just yeah. No, he's brilliant when it comes to tapping into what is moving the needle culturally. And what's moving the needle culturally on that side of the aisle is court cases. The plain and simple. Government and the judicial established that everyone is out against him yeah. and them. And yeah. absolutely. It's what the white working class. Well, Howard, you and I were talking about this the other day when I tried to pivot from hearing about uh, Michigan for a minute. And what is discouraging to me is that Trump's campaign is a further demeaning and and deconstruction of the the process. Right. It it it, it is a campaign that says it, it goes it's back to the big lie. It says it was stolen from me before. They're going to try to steal it from you, the people, again. And we are just setting ourselves up for a result that some significant percentage of the country isn't going to accept if Trump is defeated, which is my 2024 prediction. Now, as Patrick, you and I were talking about the other day, thank goodness, it will not be a transfer of power. So there isn't the opportunity for an exact repeat of the January 6th disaster. But I just wish somebody, I wish there were a constituency out there advocating for the Constitution and the democratic process. Instead, we have a campaign where the president, I believe, factually is asserting that Trump is a threat to democracy and where Trump is asserting that whatever happens isn't fair if he doesn't win. That that's not a that's not an ideal setup for this it's experiment not. of ours. But as you and I discussed where both sides is on this topic, 
absolutely disappears in my view is that even though Biden is making the case that Trump winning is a threat to democracy, Biden would absolutely still peacefully transfer power back to Trump. If Trump were duly elected, he would show up at his inauguration. That's the difference. And that's what, you know, that's what people on the other side don't understand is that I accept that there's a world in which Trump can win. They don't accept there's a world in which Biden can win. They they believe in which Biden can legitimately correct. They believe yeah. that it is Great. it is an impossibility. And That's I don't know how you talk to people like that. I don't that know how you explain the, that to them. The tragedy and danger in this. That's I win, tails you lose. Totally. Yeah. Uh, well said. A hundred percent. Yeah, and yes. It is both sides, but it's the two men. I'm a great believer in the great person, man and woman theory of history. Men and women have have moved events and changed the course of of history. And it's these two guys. One of them, one of them would show up at the other's inauguration. The other wouldn't, and would call for a riot. Yeah, but that and, and yes, there are many, many people behind him. I get it. He's a symptom and a cause. We've been through that. But boy, oh boy, I wish somebody would just say that. I wish the Speaker of the House, Howard, as you and I were discussing, instead of saying, I, I don't think the 2020 election was fair. I wish somebody over there on that side would stand up and say, I'm for Trump. I think he should be the president. I don't want Joe Biden leading my country, but whatever happens, I'm for my country and I'm accepting the result because that's what we do in this country. Plenty of people are saying that they're just not the people in positions. They're not influencers. They're not Instagram influencers. I mean, they've all been relegated because he's better at manipulating the media than they are. I'm sorry, Towner isn't here. I brought my copy of the Constitution. I keep it with me at all times, but, as does Towner. We are both constitutionalists. But I was going to ask but, him, we, we, the right flank is unprotected here, by the way. But, but Mark, if Biden doesn't win, it's because Democrats didn't turn out. And that's true. Democrats, ha- if Democrats turn out, Biden's going to win. Well, Period. Yes and yes and no. Yes. If if Democrats turn out, Biden should win. But the independent bloc, as we all know, is extremely meaningful. And if Biden doesn't win, it will also mean that independence broke for Trump, which I don't think happens and is, I think, the firewall for democracy in this election. So it isn't as yes, it's a turnout election, most fundamentally, but it's got to Biden's got to persuade the independents, and that's what is is yeah, he does. That's fair. That's a what fair his comeback. Valley Forge speech was about. That wasn't for the base. The base no. is there. But the but the issue that he has, I think, is that people aren't that excited. People aren't no. that excited because they don't look at him. He's not an exciting guy. As a great man, to use your, and I mean, I think he's done a good job of leading the country. I do. And I'm not pulling the lever for Donald Trump. That's for darn sure. But, but he's old, as we all know. Somebody referenced David Axelrod earlier. I think Rodney, you know, 
that's a principal criticism is he's not a compelling his best case for being reelected is that he's already president. He's the incumbent. His best case for being reelected is that he has been, I believe, not a, not a good president, but a great president. I think he has done a great job leading this country the last almost four years. But he's got to make that case. He's got to make that case. That's his challenge. Yeah, I think the, the one thing I'll say on the on the motivating the Democratic base is I just think it's a harder thing to do period. And and it's even harder for Biden. Our base is just more, it, it's, it's a lot of different types of groups of people. When you talk about the Republican base, the Trump base, there's a lot of similarities between those voters and it makes it easier to speak to them in one voice. I mean, look at Israel, Palestine, and what this is doing with what could be a key block of voters in Michigan on the Democratic side. And I wouldn't want Biden to change his rhetoric to pander to those voters. And so you have all these different groups of people on the Democratic side who care about like one or two things that are very important to them. And I just think it makes it really hard to get everyone on board and excited about your candidacy unless you're just frankly giving them every single thing they want. And that can be really hard to do, particularly when it goes against what you believe. Well, how about not voting on the basis of a single issue? Looking at the bigger picture, like which is more important? Well, that's what happened in 2020. And that's what's going to hopefully happen this time, which is the bigger issue will be Trump will be the, the bigger the thing that will unite all of the various segments of the Democratic base who are frustrated is going to be the threat of another Trump term. And I think that's what the Biden campaign hopes is enough to bring them home. But, you know, they're not enthused about Biden right now. Well, they all it's not one single reason why. Right. Everyone had all the different parts of the Democratic base have their little pet issues. And there is just a trickier proposition to keep the Democratic base enthusiastic uh, because they're just I think it's more complicated to speak to them. It's also just to get into the uh, electoral weeds for a moment. Uh, you know, it's not a 50 state election. Trump, Biden's going to win the popular vote. Everybody knows that he's going to win the popular vote by millions of votes, four five, six, maybe more. I think last time it was seven. But that's not how we elect a president. This is about six, seven, eight states. And in those states, there are hotly contested Senate races. There are hotly contested House races. There's a lot at stake and a lot on the ballot. And I think that's going to help turn out our vote. People may not be that enthusiastic about pulling the lever for Joe Biden, but they're going to show up because of their congressional race or because of their Senate race. And they're going to start at the top of the ticket. So I think if he can, I'm back to the persuasion part of the election. It's the the minority part. But if he can persuade independents, then then I think this is going to going to be OK. But as we were saying the other day, Patrick, it just feels like so many cakes have been baked already. The Senate is is gone. Yeah, uh, we're not saying. giving up. And we got to keep it close. Uh, we were saying the other day, a 52-48 Senate 
is much better for Democrats and I believe democracy than a 55-45 Senate. But but we aren't going to get to 50-50 and have the vice president break the vote break the tie. The the House feels the other way, a little less certainly, but but the House feels like it's it's moving the other way. It just it just feels like the the bakers got in really early and made a bunch of cakes this year. Except for the most important cake. Except for the most important cake, which yeah. is which is that 50-50 coin toss about whether this recording is even happening. Yeah. <laughs> the, well, um, no, go, go ahead, Howard. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that the election, I mean, as I started with, Trump is trying, he's campaigning through the courtroom, and it's an attempt to delegitimize the third branch of government. And I'm not talking about whether... You know, he the the Colorado case or the main ballot disqualification and what the I'm not talking about the actual legal issues. I'm talking about the politicization of the judicial branch. And I think that's what this election's coming down to. Yeah. Can he like how does how does that land? And well, that, yeah, and that's what the president came to Valley Forge, although it's actually a different town, to uh, speak about uh, a week ago today. And we're already living it. I'm this is I'm back to my where's the constituency for the Constitution here. I got to give Towner a call this weekend and see if we can get a bipartisan thing going where everybody carries their Constitution with them. And and advocates for it. But look at the world we're already living in where the judge hearing the New York case where Trump has used the courtroom for a uh, Rose Garden speech, the judge starts his day with a bomb threat at his house. And Trump didn't make the bomb threat, but he didn't denounce it. And I believe he encouraged it with his his rhetoric. The delegitimization of the system of government is already underway. And that's why I say even the election result isn't going to end that unless both sides stand up and say enough. Okay, we're done. We had an election. One guy won, one guy lost. And now we're going back to to work on this government of ours. All right. We'll say like it's just an eyes wide open election too. I mean, you know, if you go back to 2016, there were a lot of voters, you know, in the all the polling and data in the aftermath of the election that, you know, you were talking about independence earlier, Mark, that tipped heavily toward Trump on election day, and there was this idea of kind of the unknown, and we need to shake things up, and maybe this will be different from the rhetoric. And I think he'll do some good, you know, now these guys are both, it's amazing to me, frankly, that there'll be independent or undecided voters going into this election after what we've all lived for the last decade. But I mean, to me, it's just, I feel kind of resigned to like, this is just the country's got to put down a marker about which way they want to go. And back to the base issue, Howard, because I totally agree with what you said. I think that's going to determine if Biden wins or loses, if Democratic constituencies stay home because they're unenthusiastic about Biden and that leads to Trump getting reelected, I just don't know what to say. I mean, 
particularly because a lot of those groups are going to be the ones that are going to be hurt the most by what happens after that. And and I just, it's just, we're going to get, we're going to get the, the uh, government we deserve. That's what you say. I feel that exact same way. Totally. Yeah. Well, being undecided about who you're going to vote for is being different, is different than being undecided about these two guys. I think there are lots of people out there that know that Donald Trump is an absolute clown and a maniac, but they may well, they may still vote for him because they have enough beef with things going on out there that they're going to hold their nose. It's not a matter of whether they like Trump. They don't. It's a matter of whether he's the least worst alternative. And on the other side of the aisle, it's, I think, going to come down to things like People know Joe Biden is old and they know they should be putting forward a better candidate and they may not like everything he's done, like the Michigan Democrats and his Israel policy. But he's, you know, is he is he still the least worst alternative? And I think unfortunately, I think that's the state of affairs and politics. Guys, I will close with this. I'm I'm going back to the Michigan game, but from a different point of view, I can't help myself, but. You'll appreciate it. Yeah, we're terrible. (laughs) But one of the things that struck me in the game, not to get overly sappy about it, was sitting there in the stadium and it's filled with, it's probably like 70% Michigan fans, maybe 65%. The Michigan's a very politically, it's a swing state. It's a very politically diverse state. And so is Washington state. And it's a football game. You could be sure there were 70,000 people there of all political persuasions. There's no question about it. You know, you had no idea who you were sitting next to. All anybody was interested in was a great football game. Nobody cared what the person sitting next to them thinks about politics or Donald Trump or Joe Biden. It was like, I was just struck by for uh, for four or five hours, what a wonderful yeah. escape it was from the divisive climate we're living in. Where like, and there wasn't animosity between Washington and Michigan. In fact, it it was hilarious. At one point, they were showing national championship highlights on the jumbotron, and they showed an Ohio State highlight, and that got far more booze right. than. Right. Right. Anybody on the Washington <laughs> sideline, it was hilarious. But it was, I don't know, they, well, I guess it's because of what we do for a living. It was just, it just really struck me that you had a bunch of people in a confined space that cared about, that were putting something above politics and the divisive culture we're living in for for a little bit. And I don't know, it, it was a, it was a, compelling beautiful thing mention that, of it yeah no that's a beautiful thing and we got to work our way back to that happening outside the stadium on uh on one monday night but your quarterback isn't constitutionally eligible neither is donald trump in my opinion but that's a different rabbit hole but jj mccarthy's not 35 yet so that the answer isn't mccarthy for president yeah, you know, hopefully in a few, it's just going to take a good guy from suburban Chicago like J.J. McCarthy to sort all this out in a few years. 
You know, he's, yeah, I'd vote for him, by the way. Seems like a great kid. I'm, I'm a Mikey Sanderstall guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going for the D back. No, it was a great game and a lot of fun and a good week. And guys, we have a long year ahead of us. We have a long, this is going to be a long 2024. A lot of client work to do. We can just replay this podcast for the next six months. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And there actually is some legislation that's going to pass this year, and a lot's going to (laughs) happen, but it's going to be a long year. Mark and Patrick, maybe we'll have some more of the crew back next week. We had half of Rodney. Now that he's been unleashed, he's like, you can't keep track of the guy. And uh, but we'll be back next week. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.